WFYI podcast brought to you by Bloomington, Indiana, an American college town offering food and drink, college sports, outdoor activities, live music, cool art, and good times daily. Everyone is welcome in Bloomington. More information at visitbloomington.com. We're going to take a trip right now. Like we always do about this time. This is a journey into sound. You're tuned in to 90.1 WFYI Public Radio. I'm Kyle Long from Nouveau News Weekly, and this is Cultural Manifesto. And you're listening to part one of a special two-part edition of Cultural Manifesto, featuring words and music from one of Indiana's greatest musicians, flutist James Pellerite. Tonight, James Pellerite will be sharing stories from his incredible career as a world-renowned classical flutist. In addition to teaching for 30 years at IU's Jacobs School of Music, Mr. Pellerite has also performed with an astounding array of classical music greats, from Leonard Bernstein to Igor Stravinsky. And I'll be digging deep into my record collection to pull out some rare albums James Pellerite recorded early in his career. And don't miss part two of my interview with James Pellerite, which will air this Saturday night at 10. In part two, we'll be discussing Pellerite's work on the Native American flute. And as I mentioned earlier, tonight we're featuring James Pellerite's work on the modern classical flute. In the background now, we're listening to Pellerite perform Density 21.5 by Edgar Varese. This comes from a 1970 LP titled James Pellerite Plays Flute, released on Cornet Records. Up next, James Pellerite will join us in the studio. I'm Kyle Long. You're listening to Cultural Manifesto, made possible in part by the Indianapolis Foundation, celebrating 100 years of service. Kyle Long, you're listening to Cultural Manifesto on 90.1 WFYI Public Radio. I'm honored to be joined by a renowned master of the classical flute, James Pellerite. Thank you so much for being here today. It's an honor to have you here, and I've been looking forward to speaking with you. Well, thank you, Kyle. It's my pleasure. Uh, anytime that I can uh, uh, voice uh, uh, the, uh, uh, the story about An exciting life in music is uh, certainly a pleasure. Yeah, and I'm going to read some highlights from your career in a moment, but I did want to mention you were honored this year with a Lifetime Achievement Award from the National Flute Association, right? Yes, uh, it was quite an event this past August. I was uh, uh, the recipient of this award, which evidently is the highest award that the National Flute Association makes available. I uh, played a recital. Ironically, I guess I was recognized more for what I had done with the modern flute, but my recital was on the Native American flute. Mm. And uh, this was interesting because I did try to um, make an effort to um, uh, bridge the gap, so to speak, 
by uh, also making it a lecture recital. In so doing, I spoke a great deal about the transition whereby I simply used many of the techniques that I've always preached about with the modern flute in order to learn how to bring the native flute into the classical arena. And we're going to talk extensively about your work on the native flute and play some uh, recordings you've done on that instrument as well. But I did want to give folks a quick little description of some of your past career highlights. In this award you received from the National Flute Association, it was not only for your work as a performer, it was also for your work as a teacher. You taught at IU for over 30 years, right? You well, it was flute. exactly 30 years, oh, yes. It was 30, exactly yes. 30 years. And I know you studied flute at Juilliard School. You served as principal flutist with the Philadelphia Orchestra, as well as the Indianapolis and Detroit Symphonies. You've performed under some of the greatest maestros in uh, music history, really. Leonard Bernstein, Eugene Ormandy, Pablo Casals, Neville Mariner, Stokowski. You performed with Stravinsky and many other great composers and conductors you've worked with throughout your career. And in 1993, after you'd retired from teaching the modern classical flute, you discovered the native flute kind of by accident in New Mexico. And since then, you've devoted your life to performing on this instrument and developing a repertoire of new works featuring this instrument, both chamber works and symphonic works. And we're going to talk about all of that tonight. <laughs> okay. But, but first, I wanted to kind of talk a little bit about your earlier days in music and your childhood. Am I correct? You were born in 1926, September of 1926 in uh, Pennsylvania. Yes, uh, if you have to remind me. <laughs> <laughs> Clearfield, Pennsylvania, is that where you were Correct. born? And you grew up there? Yes. Uh, I was uh, with a uh, wonderful Italian family. Ciuri di ruvitare spini santi Su tu passano cantari mi senti Of course, I'm all Italian because uh, my father came from Sicily and uh, my mother, of course, was born in this country, but uh, uh, she came from Neapolitan uh, family. She spoke beautiful English. My father, kind of uh, an abstraction. It was, it was a wonderful experience growing up in an Italian background, the work ethic was uh, the main focus almost daily. And uh, from age seven, I was pushed into recognizing that the harder I worked, the luckier I would become. This age seven, that's when you started playing the piccolo, is that right? That's correct. Yeah. My, it was my first instrument. Uh, the family uh, thought that I should be in music and... Uh, purchased a piccolo for all of $5. And in those days, of course, uh, during Depression, it took, I think, six months to pay it off. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And did you have an immediate affinity for this instrument? Not really. I don't think that at that age I had an affinity for very much other than wanting to play with my friends. However, I, I do recall that playing with my friends amounted to my wanting to lead the band, 
we would have a band made up of uh, empty olive oil oil drums. They used to import olive oil by the five gallons. Perhaps that accounts for my longevity, having olive oil all my life. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And I mentioned you studied at Juilliard. What was the transition between studying flute or studying the piccolo at seven years old to going to this prestigious music school? Well, it was transitional. Eventually, playing the piccolo in the band was not enough, and finally uh, they purchased a flute. And uh, this flute was very unusual. It, in, it that per- in that period, they manufactured the flute almost in one piece. And uh, it was a, a CG con flute that uh, got me, at least got me through the service years. I was in the Navy in a Naval Air Force band in Puerto Rico for two and a half years. This enabled me to get a jump start on practicing the flute, although I played piccolo and I also played cymbals in the band. When uh, they they wanted uh, an extra cymbal player, That helped my rhythm. (laughs) Yeah, and you'd had practice on the olive oil cans, right? (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) So do you remember if there was a point, you mentioned as a kid you weren't particularly in love with with this instrument. Do you remember a specific point when you really decided that you wanted to focus on this instrument and it started making sense to you? I'm not sure that I can actually say it happened at a certain time. I think it was by default because... uh, I I spent so many hours practicing during my Navy days, and this was because I always wanted to have the night watch in the band room so that I could have the band room to myself to practice. I practiced hours. And having uh, devoted so much energy to the instrument, I decided, well, I know nothing else, so perhaps I should go into music. I was very fortunate while I was uh, in San Juan meeting um, a, a great musical family, the Figueroas, and they um, were close friends of Pablo Casals. And the influence was fantastic. When I would have uh, leave, I would uh, choose to go to their house on a Sunday afternoon, and we'd play string quartets, and I would read the first violin part on flute. Evidently, this, this did something for me, uh, whereby I did become a little more classically oriented in playing the instrument. While I had no teacher from the time that I, I left Clearfield, my uncle was my primary teacher who was a clarinetist, and then I had no teacher at all until I got to Juilliard.
at Juilliard, the first thing we did, of course, was for me to get rid of this one-piece con flute and get a real professional instrument. I got my first Vern Powell flute. My teacher was Frederick Wilkins, who was uh, not only a great friend, a mentor, and a great teacher, but he helped me almost by day. Evidently, he must have appreciated the fact that, that every assignment he gave, I worked assiduously to try to um, uh, come in with a, a well-prepared lesson. And from that day forward, uh, he was always on my side trying to help. And this was one of his flutes that I was able to purchase. That, more or less, was the turning point, probably, that, yes, I'm totally committed. Through him, I was able to uh, jumpstart my professional activity in New York by substituting for him while he was off, he was the principal flute from the Radio City Music Hall Symphony. He needed as many substitutes as he could because sometimes the schedule uh, was such that he couldn't coordinate uh, who was going to sub for him. So evidently he went down the list and he couldn't get anybody and he thought, well, come down to the Radio City Music Hall and you're going to uh, read a rehearsal with me of a new show and you're going to start subbing next week. And I was mortified. I couldn't imagine playing suddenly going from Juilliard to a professional orchestra, which this was. They had a, uh, a full symphony orchestra at that time in the Radio City Music Hall as well as the Roxy Theater. These were really the Hokkien days in New York. So that really got me started. Do you remember what the work was that you subbed for, for him Yes, on? William Tell Overture, okay. four times a day for four weeks. Okay. <laughs> and uh, from there on, a composite of, of uh, show tunes and a Chopin ballet. Uh, for their ballet corps. So it was quite uh, quite exciting indeed. After f four weeks, I knew the program pretty well. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I'm curious what's, what your interests were musically as a young man. What sort of things were you listening to at that time that were exciting? Well, you have to remember, I, I came from no experience at all. And no matter what it was, it was a new experience for me and I enjoyed every bit of the influence. Uh, at one point, I even had the good fortune of doing a recording session with uh, uh, Johnny Mathis and the Modern Jazz Quartet. Wow. And that was exciting. Yeah. Because suddenly, I went far afield. And I remember Gunther Schuller was the French horn player. 
he uh, he had been first horn at the uh, at the Metropolitan Opera, but this was so early on. It was probably uh, I'd say nineteen forty seven, forty eight. Wow. I remember you told me during a recent conversation, I believe it was 1949, you joined the Indianapolis Symphony Orchestra. That's that correct. Right? <clears throat> that was my first symphony job outside of New York. I was principal flute for two years with Fabian Savitsky. Yeah. And that was another eye-opener. To be honest with you, the orchestra uh, at that time was not what the Indianapolis Symphony is today. This is a a tremendous ensemble today. But at that time, I don't think that it was even as good as the Juilliard Orchestra that I had left. Hmm. I was shocked. It was very easy getting started because uh, it was like being in another student orchestra. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of us in the orchestra at that time were so young. The orchestra was thought of as being a stepping stone of something better. And sure enough, after two seasons, I uh, was able to audition for the Detroit Symphony, and uh, uh, I was first flute there for another five seasons. And you moved to Indianapolis, I take it, at that time? How long were you living here in Indianapolis? We just were here two years. Two years? And then uh, went on to Detroit for another five, but after five seasons, I thought it was time that I ought to try something else. And I uh, took some business courses. I was going to try to complete a, um, a, a bachelor's in uh, business. And uh, I went to Wayne State University and started to take uh, some economics courses and accounting. Do you have any like outstanding memories of your time here in Indianapolis playing with the symphony? I remember you, you told me that Fabian was kind of a character. Well, he was a very interesting man. He, uh, uh, he, he tried to instill a great deal of uh, class with the orchestra. But many times it would uh, come splashing back onto his face. I remember once for a children's concert, uh, the I guess the theme was uh, uh, Western music of some sort, and he dressed up as the Lone Ranger with his six guns, and he came running onto the stage to get onto the podium, and the poor man tripped and fell on his face, but he got up and began to conduct William Tell Overture because he was introducing the Lone Ranger. <laughs> Do you remember any highlights in the repertoire you played at that time? Was there anything that stands out or it's so far away? I know. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we were doing a Dohnanyi work that called for 5-8 time. And obviously the, the ensemble was anything but perfect. So he began to say, it is very easy. You just count. One, two, three, four, five. One, two, three, four, five. 
And somebody in the string section raised a hand and said, Dr. Savitsky, that's six. <laughs> no, I said, one, two, three, four, five. <laughs> so such moments as those sure. uh, provided for levity and uh, we... Um, we, we, I guess, enjoyed a great deal of camaraderie in the orchestra. Let's pause for a minute and listen to a vintage recording by James Pellerite. From the Golden Crest Records release titled James Pellerite Flute, this is Debussy's Le Petit Berger, featuring James Pellerite on flute and Ashley Miller on piano. I'm Kyle Long. You're listening to Cultural Manifesto on 90.1 WFYI. I'm Kyle Long. You're listening to Cultural Manifesto on 90.1 WFYI. If you're just tuning in, my guest tonight is the world-renowned flutist James Pellerite. Let's return to our conversation. And you mentioned you were taking some business courses in Detroit. At what point did you join the Philadelphia Orchestra? Oh, that didn't come until much later. Okay. This was about, so I'd say, 1955, 56 I decided that um, I became very interested in uh, corporate finance and uh, <clears throat> met a, uh, an interesting fellow who had been coming to the uh, Detroit Symphony concerts, and he always wanted to talk about Hector Berlioz, and I always wanted to talk about stocks. So the two of us got along famously, and eventually... I uh, became an intern with a, a New York Stock Exchange house in Detroit, and eventually I uh, did get my license. And the day that uh, that I was authorized to begin 
taking on accounts. The ticker tape read, finest flutist on Wall Street. <laughs> so that was my, that was my introduction to, uh, to Wall Street. <laughs> and you worked as a broker for how I long? worked as a broker for about a year and a half, but because uh, I, I evidently couldn't, couldn't put up with the thought that I uh, was so responsible for these ups and downs that people would, would have. It, it would keep me awake at nights worrying about losses that customers would have. You can't be a successful broker doing that. So all the while that I was with this day job, I was at night playing jingles, uh, commercials for the uh, uh, various automobiles, uh, Chevrolet trucks. I can remember uh, a piccolo solo in a Chevy truck ad, and they kept playing this. It would blare it. Uh, all day long, and the royalties were coming in. Eventually, I was doing better on the outside than I ever did in the orchestra. Hmm. And I would play the Broadway shows that would come in for four or five weeks in Detroit. This eventually resulted in my having to feel that I better get something more stable. So my teacher in the meantime, Fred Wilkins, again, had been offered the professorship to teach at Indiana University. He called one day and said, I don't really want this job. Would you like to interview for it? And I thought, my goodness, teaching at a university. I had no degree because I didn't wait long enough to try to work on a degree at Juilliard. I was anxious to uh, become an orchestral player. So um, I decided to take the interview at Indiana, and uh, the first thing I did was to tell Dean Bain at that time, I have to apologize, I don't have a degree. And he said, we don't require them. We just give them. <laughs> so that, um, that more or less set the tone for the kind of faculty that he was after. He wanted professional musicians, not necessarily just the, uh, the doctorates who um, were, were only in the classroom, although they're of great value, and there's no question about that. And you taught at IU from 1961 to 1991? Uh, 1957 to 1960— because there's no, no way that you're going to know if you want to stay, particularly for economic reasons. At that time, orchestras didn't pay anywhere near what they are paying today. After a year, Dean Bain simply insisted that he was organizing a faculty second to none, 
and it's true because he he uh, imported uh, players from the New York Philharmonic, the Chicago Symphony, Cleveland Orchestra, and this was a, a great attraction for me to come back to IU. I uh, I simply assumed that it was a wise move to go back, and with a better paycheck plus a great retirement, which I'm, in, I'm enjoying yet today. Good. <laughs> Let's pause again and listen to another vintage recording from James Pellerite. Off the Golden Crest Records release, The Flute, in its showcase of styles, this is James Pellerite on flute, accompanied by Charles Webb on piano, performing Gabriel Fauré's Sicilian. I'm Kyle Long. You're listening to Cultural Manifesto on 90.1. WFYI.
I'm Kyle Long. You're listening to Cultural Manifesto on 90.1 WFYI Public Radio. If you're just tuning in, my guest tonight is the world-renowned flutist James Pellerate. Let's return to our conversation. I wanted to ask about a couple recordings you made prior to your uh, discovery of the native flute. <coughs> Correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe you performed on a, a famous recording, Igor Stravinsky Conducts, recorded in 1961 for Columbia Masterworks. You played on the octet for wind instruments. Is that right? Yes. That's amazing. That was really uh, an opportunity of a lifetime. I, I had been playing the Casals Festival in uh, Puerto Rico, and the manager called me after I had been in Philadelphia, and he said, you know, Stravinsky's in town, and he's going to record the octet. Would you like to play? And I said, well, I'd love to play. Well, I'll, I'll, yes, tell me when, and I'll try to organize it. And he said, well, uh, he gave me the date and so on. And sure enough, the schedule was such that Columbia had to schedule the recording to start at midnight because both uh, the trombonist, Keith Brown, who was also in the Philadelphia Orchestra, and I had to go from Philadelphia after a after a concert actually and uh we we started recording at columbia studios at midnight and there was stravinsky with robert Kraft, and the other players were from the new york philharmonic so it was uh, it was quite a good group i must say what kind of man was stravinsky to to work with in that setting oh he was uh he was wonderful. Um, I, I have to say, admittedly, not too much of a conductor, but it didn't matter because by that time we knew the piece and uh, Robert Kraft, while he didn't conduct, was really more, more or less the A&R man on the recording. But uh, his tempi and all were authentic. Uh, actually, I think... Columbia considered that a hallmark uh, recording at the time. Yeah, that's a legendary recording. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Yes. That's amazing that you got to be a part of that. That's fantastic. Oh, that's wonderful. Let's pause and listen to Stravinsky's Octet for Wind Instruments, featuring our guest tonight, James Pellerite, on flute.
I'm Kyle Long. You're listening to Cultural Manifesto on 90.1 WFYI. We just heard Stravinsky's Octet for Wind Instruments off the 1961 Columbia Masterworks album Igor Stravinsky Conducts. And that recording featured our guest tonight, the world-renowned flutist James Pellerite. Let's return to our conversation. Another recording I wanted to ask you about, we've been talking about your time at IU, 
And one of your colleagues on the faculty at IU is a legend here from Indianapolis, David Baker, who is known for playing trombone early in his career in the local jazz scene and then switched to playing the, the bass and was also a very talented composer. And you played on a recording of David Baker's concerto for flute, string quartet, and jazz band. Can you talk a little bit about participating in this recording and, and working with David Baker? Well, let's begin first with the fact that uh, the concerto had not been born. After listening to his violin concerto, I approached David uh, with the idea that let's do the same thing for flute and jazz band and add a string quartet and have a slow movement that would be also on an alto flute. And I said, you write out all of the idiomatic expression that uh, you, you would normally expect of a jazz player, and I'll try to play it. Sure enough, he wrote this virtuosic piece that took months to really organize. The cadenza itself entails everything from uh, quarter tones, multiphonics, to uh, pyrotechnics that, that uh, really, I think, displayed the instrument in uh, quite a brilliant manner. And uh, it was accompanied by tabla, which in itself is unique. And now I want to pause to play the opening movement from David Baker's Concerto for Flute, String Quartet, and Jazz Band. I'm Kyle Long. You're listening to Cultural Manifesto.
I'm Kyle Long. You're listening to Cultural Manifesto on 90.1 WFYI Public Radio. We just heard the opening movement from David Baker's Concerto for Flute, String Quartet, and Jazz Band. And that recording featured our guest tonight, the world-renowned flutist James Pellerite. And that's all the time we have for tonight's program. But don't miss part two of my interview with James Pellerite, which will air this Saturday night at 10. In part two, we'll be discussing Pellerite's work on the Native American flute. I'm Kyle Long. You've been listening to Cultural Manifesto, made possible in part by the Indianapolis Foundation, celebrating 100 years of service.